Good morning, everybody. I feel like I need to introduce myself. Hi, I'm Steve. (laughs) Feels like a long time ago. Hi, Steve. Um, Hey, I want to thank John Clements. for He filled in the the last two weeks as I taught at Delphi. I thought he did a great job with some really tough passages. He says, oh, do you plan this, like leaving right when the tough passages come? And I said, no, mine won't be any easier, but uh, he sure did a good job. Uh, On a more of a... Bigger note, I'm sure most of us now at this point have heard about uh, the death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and their friends in that helicopter crash um, that happened last Sunday. And I would just say this, it it just once again underlines that a lot of what we think is really solid isn't, right? And we put our weight or our hopes on that stuff and then it goes kafush. And uh, certainly prayer for those left behind is in order as you can imagine those poor families scrambling with what the new normal is looks like now um, that's a tough one but it also underlines the fact that none of us including Colby did know the time of our death we we don't have an ability to be able to uh, see into the future and that's why Jesus says to fully put our trust in him now if today you hear his voice don't harden your heart God is saying, now is the time to do that because you don't know where the future is going to go. You might think you do, but you need to trust me with that. And so I just want to underline that as well. Also, as we come this morning, none of us know the exact timing of his return, he being Jesus, right? We, we don't know exactly when he's coming back, and we're going to be looking at some of that this morning. Uh, the next two messages will be aimed in this direction. So we probably should pray Uh, It's the end of the world and all that kind of stuff, so we should probably pray before we do that, right? All right, join me in prayer. Father in heaven, it is true, there is a lot we don't know. There are things you've given us that are helpful, and there are things you've pointed to that we should look at, and there is the issue of staying alert and awake and watching. And so we pray this morning as we walk through some of this, it will excite us, and um, but also sober us and also... Uh, let us know that we've got a track with you. And so we seek you for that. Ask that um, you would find faith among us this morning. And we give that to you with hope. And pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so let's just do a quick review. Go back to some of the things John covered so that um, we can tie it all together. Uh, the last, So all four of these messages, the two that John did and then the two I'll do, uh, are linked in these sayings in Mark Uh, 13. So you can take your Bibles, turn to Mark 13. And what John pointed out to us is that these, located in these verses of scriptures are what are called telescoping prophecies. What that means is there's a fulfillment in the current situation that it's being set in, but there's also a jump to the future that it also fulfills in. And so uh, in John's first message, let's look through again, because remember he had the abomination of desolation, just a great title, and uh, he was so excited about that. And um, but it comes out of the book of Daniel, and it talks about the time. Uh, and there are actually three fulfillments of this that we know of in Scripture. The first, of course, is Antiochus Epiphanes, 167 BC, Second Temple. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes is literally—that's not his real name. He gave it to himself. It means God manifest, humble, don't you think? Yeah. And uh, he conquers Israel. He slaughters about 80,000 people. 
uh, erects a statue of Zeus in the temple and then slaughters a pig on the altar of the temple. So if you're a Jewish person, you can just imagine how that came across, right? That was just absolute desecration. And that was his intention, and that's what he was after. Uh, The next person that it telescopes to uh, is Titus. Jesus is talking. This is 40 years before Titus comes on the scene. Jesus is talking about A.D. 30, A.D. 33. Uh, The fall of Jerusalem was A.D. 70. Uh, Titus would be the future emperor of Rome. And as a general, he conquers Jerusalem. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. He slaughters a million people and destroys the temple and the temple mount. What happened is they set the thing on, in a blaze and the gold in the temple melted down between the rocks. And so they literally took devices and knocked the rocks apart, crawling in to get the gold out of the cracks. And so thus Jesus' prediction that not one stone would be left upon another. And then there's a third one that telescopes even farther into the future, and that is Antichrist. Antichrist is a future, future coming leader. He's an opponent and resistor of Jesus and his coming kingdom, including his church. He will also repeat Antiochus's actions by having an abomination that causes desolation in the temple. Now, this is important. Why is this important? What does this tell us? Okay. Well, right now, that would be absolutely impossible because there's no temple to be abominated. Isn't that a great word? Abominated. I like that. There, there's, it can't happen. There's no temple. So how, how do you make that happen? Well, what that means is this. In the line of history, what we're looking at, current to today, what has not happened yet, there will be a third temple built. Okay? And so right now, as you look, the present day scene, this is what it looks like. This is the Temple Mount, and right now in the square of the Temple Mount is the Dome of the Rock, which is a Muslim uh, shrine, one of the highest shrines they have. And, um, and right here, what I want to say is it should cause us to pause and just admire how amazing, profound, and prophetic Jesus' words are. He sees things into the future that we can't see. Right in front of them, as Jesus was talking... It didn't look like this, that what you see up on the screen, the temple was there. And as he, as he was talking, the temple was an, one of the most incredible architectural structures in the history of the world. It took them 46 years to build Herod's temple. And they had no way to conceive that in less than 40 years, as Jesus spoke those words, in less than 40 years, it would cease to exist. Not only does Jesus say it will be destroyed, but his description was, as we said, not one stone would be left upon another. But there will come a time when another temple is to have an abomination of desolation as well. Now, how does it happen with the Dome of the Rock sitting right there? We don't have time to cover this this morning, but needless to say, speculation is rampant, especially in Israel. Stop and think how amazing this is. Think of the span of history here that Jesus saw that no one could have anticipated when he said those words outside the temple wall. He not only was forecasting Titus, 
but he was forecasting the coming of the Antichrist, uh, looking at the things that would happen to Israel that he knew about that they didn't know about. Not only would the temple be destroyed, but Israel as a nation would be destroyed, and Israel would float for about 1,900 years through history. Templeless, nationless, persecuted, harassed, and hunted. There are no more chilling words in the Bible that you can find than the curse they evoked upon themselves at the trial of Jesus when they had the choice between Barabbas and Jesus. They told Jesus, Pilate says, I'm free of this man's blood. And they said, let his blood be upon us and our children. I don't know how you, when I read that, I just get chills. Like, no, don't say that, right? Don't say that. Really, really powerful. Jesus had a long eye of prophetic history in mind when he was saying these words. He saw Israel restored as a nation, and that actually came to be in 1948. Some of you today, sitting here, are old enough to be alive when that happened. You remember it. I'm not. I'm just a hair too young. Uh, That was 1948. I was born in 1956. But some of you actually have been alive the time that Israel has been a nation. And there are two things missing if you think from the Jewish perspective and and what they're looking for, not from the Christian perspective, but from the Jewish perspective, there's two things missing for the whole cycle to come around and be complete. One is that they need a temple in which to hold their sacrifices. They haven't had that now Uh, for close to 2,000 years. But the other thing is the Ark of the Covenant, which needs to be in the Holy of Holies so that the sacrifices are, can be efficacious. Well, I'm into big words today. Abominated, efficacious. Wow, this is crazy. All right, efficacious just means efficient. It works, all right? So these are really hot-button topics Uh, not only in Israel, but also for the countries around it, and may I say for the world itself. As a matter of fact, the tensions are so high around this discussion that Israel is avoiding digging in several locations, one of them being in Qumran and the other being in a location close to or within Hezekiah's tunnel. Because if they find what they think they might find, the implications would be staggering. And that being none other than the temple treasures and the Ark of the Covenant. Israel had been, at Jesus' time, without the Ark for almost 600 years. They have now been without it for almost 2,500 years. Can you imagine? Just think, the history you know from reading through the Bible. Can you imagine what the discovery of the Ark of the Covenant would mean to them and what that would mean to the rest of the world. It would be a bombshell. You can see the kind of powder keg uh, this would be in, in that part of the world. But the temple will be rebuilt. It's not a matter of when, it's a matter of if. Or I'm sorry, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I said that completely backwards. Rusty, do you know that the plans for the third temple are already drawn up? 
that you can go to a site and you can find the plans and they already exist. They not only have the blueprints for the temple, but they also have all the blueprints for the designs for all the temple instruments. All, all that they need for the, to reenact the sacrifices that are found in the Old Testament. So the question is, what's holding them up? Well, they need a piece of real estate to put it on. And it just so happens this piece of real estate is slightly occupied. Thus, in John's second message, the one given last week, we again see this, this kind of twofold or telescoping uh, type of prediction. Mark says, or Jesus says this in Mark, When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then, those, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back and take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Now remember, there's two fulfillments here we're talking about. First one is uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in the temple, A.D. 70. Jesus is talking some 40 years before this. And he's saying, when you see that happen, flee. Right? But then we also have this with the coming Antichrist. And the question is, why the urgency? Right? Why, 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 why this get out of town quick sort of thing? Because Titus, like Antiochus before him, was not asking permission when he came in and attacked. There wasn't much of a window. Matter of fact, the only window that was offered is that actually the first person who besieged Jerusalem was Vespius, Titus's father. And Vespius started to dig the trenches around Jerusalem so that they couldn't escape. And then in the middle of that, he was made emperor of Rome. So he took off, had to go to Rome. In the process of that, he made Titus, his son, the general. And then it's Titus who actually sacked and destroyed Jerusalem and then destroyed the temple. And in that little window from when uh, Vespian had to go and stop besieging Jerusalem and go to Rome to be, take on emperorship, and then, of course, Titus had to go with them and Titus had to come back. In that window, there was this tiny little window where they had a way to get out. And so Jesus is saying, when you see that book, and that's why they did. Titus's son took over. The Roman army, when he came back, moved swiftly and decisively. Taking your time was not a good option. Right? This passage Jesus is pulling from, he's pulling from Daniel. And speaking into the future, at that time, 40 years, into the coming of Titus and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, no Gentile was allowed in the temple courts, especially the court of the holies, and the Holy of Holies. But now notice that a shift takes place in the next few verses where it suddenly telescopes into an even further future. Pray that it may not happen in winter. Jesus is talking about here the abomination of desolation. He says, For in those days there will be such tribulation as, not, as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now. And never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. So that we, we see that Antiochus and Titus then are kind of foreshadowers or what you would call an archetype. They're, they're a pattern of someone uh, who is to come. 
And that Antichrist would operate in the same spirit and mode that they did, only on a vastly different scale. So much so that uh, Jesus said the days had to be cut short. What Antiochus and and Titus did were disastrous and tragedies on enormous scales, but there'll be nothing compared to Antichrist. The Holocaust will be so intense that God has to literally cut it short or there'd be no life left on earth. And the admonition given in this is to be alert and watchful. Why? Because Jesus says there's going to be a lot of counterfeits. He says, and then if someone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Jesus is saying many deceivers and deceptions are going to proliferate in as the end times become close. And he's, what that means is there are going to be so many types of counterfeits that the true reality of Jesus and the life that he offers will be hard to discern just because there's so much junk to cut through to get to, the, get to the truth. And we see this today. Today is uh, full of a proliferation of options outside of Jesus that promise life. Just think of the options available to us today with the media, right? We've talked about this before. We live in a world of massive, massive options or, or distractions, however you want to look at them, that all tell us that what they have to offer is more and better than what Jesus has to offer. It's so easy to be led down the wrong trail in our culture. Jesus tells us to be on guard. He's warned us. Don't get fooled. And there's another really important piece here that we have to pay attention to. He gives us, Jesus gives us a key detail, a a key piece that we have to make sure we keep in our minds, that's really important. And what's the key piece? The key piece is this. <coughs> all these false Christs, all these imposters, they will come in human form. They will be human saying, I am the Christ, and then they will do miraculous things. But that is not how Jesus is coming back the second time. He came the first time as a human. He does not come back the second time that way. These guys will use miracles to validate the claim. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. They're false. Don't pay attention. How do we know they're false? Because Jesus won't return that way. Look with me in Luke 17. What Jesus says, these, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to another, so will the Son of Man be in His day. Jesus is saying, my second coming is going to be completely different. I'm not walking on the earth. I'm coming to the earth. All right? And the whole world will see it. Much like lightning flashes from the east to the west. You can see the whole thing. Matthew tells us this. When that happens, he says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So this is going to be quite a show. Right? You want to talk about special effects? Spielberg's got nothing on this baby. All right? Disney can cry in their soup. They can't match this. 
No leader on earth, listen to this, no leader on earth, no matter how powerful or how miraculous, will be able to replicate this. So you don't look at those things because you're looking for something different. You're not looking for something to happen down here. You're looking for Jesus to come from heaven. Jesus is not coming back the same way. This time he's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But many will be fooled because they don't know the Bible or what it says about Jesus' second return. And so they're going to be tricked and they're going to be deceived. By the way, just a commercial, another great reason to join us and read through the Bible with us this year. It would be good for you to know where these things are and to pull them out so that you don't get fooled and if someone else is, you can help them. End of commercial. Which then brings us to today's verses. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, right? Which brings us to today's verses. So all of this is preamble to today's verses. Now let's start with the message today. All right, here we go. So that's what John covered. Now here's what we're going to cover today. Lessons from the fig tree. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So as we've seen before, and we've seen this actually in the Gospel of Mark, the fig tree is a symbol for Israel. The first time it shows up, remember they were walking towards the temple. Jesus was hungry. He looked at the fig tree, hoping to get something off of it, but it wasn't seasoned for figs. So he cursed the fig tree, and it says it died and withered from the roots up. And that, we said, was a picture of Israel, that it was going to die from the roots up, and that that was going to be a picture of what happened in just 40 years. That they were supposed to give fruit, food to the nation, but they were bankrupt and there was no fruit in them. Now Jesus uses the illustration again, only this time he says that the fig tree will blossom. In other words, that which was dead, the one that was cursed and from dead, it's going to come alive again and this time it's going to blossom and send out its branches and send out and come into full leaf. That which is once dead will come back alive. He's talking about the nation of Israel. And that when that fig tree puts out its branches and it comes into leaf, that this would be a sign of the end of the ages, a sign of the end of times. Remember this whole discussion? This whole discussion began with Peter... Andrew, James, and John, the four original ones who had Jesus' heart. They came and said, hey, what are the signs of the end of the age? What are we supposed to be looking for? And so Jesus gave them the signs. Let's just go over those really quickly again. Signs here of the ends of time. Jesus said there would be five of them uh, that in this conversation. First of all, there would be wars and rumors of wars. Secondly, Nation would rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. That talks more about uh, governmental and domestic strife and, and barking at each other and trade and all the stuff that we know, the tensions that exist politically between nations. Jesus said also there'd be earthquakes. And the idea there is that they would increase not only in frequency, but they'd also increase in intensity. 
And so you could watch for that. And then he said there will be famines. By the way, I don't know if you saw the news. Have any, anybody seen the news about the famine going on in Africa and the locust plague that's hit there? Anybody seen that? A couple people? Right now, there is a swarm of uh, locusts that is in Africa. You can look this up. It is covering five nations. That's how big this swarm is. It's covering five nations. It's eating everything in sight. Uh, Nigeria, Ethiopia, Tanzania, uh, Tanzania, uh, Bajudi, and what's the other one? There's, but there's five of them. And right now, they are saying it's stripping everything and they don't know how to stop it. That the, the cloud of locusts is so thick that when they fly, it blocks out the sun. What is a plague like that going to produce in terms of starvation in the next couple months when everything's been eaten to the ground? Look it up. You can check it out. I was amazed this week. So these by Jesus, though, were called what? The beginning of birth pangs. Alright? These are the beginning of birth pangs. But then Jesus gives one that deals more with the end times itself. It says, The fig tree sending out its branches and developing its leaves. It should be duly noted that World War I and World War II were both fought before Israel became a nation. You have World War I, World War II. World War II ends in 1945. Israel becomes a nation when? 1948. So Israel being reconstituted as a nation is a sign to the world that the Lord's return is near. Jesus is saying in these passages, at the very gates. Wow. Uh, If you know anything about fig trees, which I don't, so I had to look it up. But uh, fig trees are actually the latest plant to flower in spring. And so they're the last ones to send out their leaves and send out uh, their their blossoms like that. So when the fig tree begins to flower or blossom, you know that summer is right around the corner. Uh, Fig trees are, are traditionally picked in August and September. So the, the time there is uh, within a season is the biblical picture. It comes within a season. And that's why Jesus says when you see these things taking place, you know that he's near right at the gates. Then he says this. This is a statement uh, to validate what he's saying. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So let's take a look at that because one of the questions would be, well, what's a generation then? I'm going to ask the uh, communion servers if you'd begin to distribute communion for us and appreciate you doing that. Thanks. Let's take a look at some biblical definitions of a generation. Uh, So there's several you find in Scripture. The first one that you find in Scripture is 30 years. And the idea of that is children... Uh, become adults and then have kids and that's usually about 30 years and that's called a generation. So that's one picture you can find uh, in Scripture. The second one is close to it but stretched a little bit, 40 years. The idea is 40 years is a generation. That held for a long time because the lifespan of people was about 40 years and most people did not live past that so 40 years was kind of counted as a generation. Uh, There's several... 40-year illustrations in the Bible. Israel being in the desert. 
being the most prominent one, God said to them, you went into the desert, or you went into the promised land, and you rejected what I gave you, so you are going to die in the desert. You're going to spend a year for every day that you were in the promised land, spying it out. And so a year for a day, so 40 years, and in that 40 years, all of you will die in that desert. And those children you thought would become prey and plunder? Thanks, Steve. Those children, those are the ones who are going to come into the promised land. And so we find this 40-year mark is uh, pretty significant. There's another uh, type of generation you find in Scripture. This one's found in the Psalm of Moses. That would be Psalm 90. You can look this up. Moses is talking and writing, and he says there that um, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. And if you think about it, that's about our lifetimes, right? That Even today, that's kind of our measuring point. My mom passed away this fall. She was 86, right? So some live past it. But most people, 70 to 80, that's about it, right? And that's where it goes. And so there's this picture of a generation is about 70 or 80 years at, at best. Then there's a, another sense of uh, a generation that you find in Scripture, like the time of a group of people coming through that era. So, for example, we would say there was a civil war and this was the last veteran to die in the civil war. He was the last one that actually had been there fighting. Well, the civil war covers a span of time, right, in terms of that. So this guy popped up probably at the end and he lived the longest, and so he was the last remaining person, we would say, of that era or that generation. That's how we would, that we, we would describe it that way. Or the last passing veteran of World War II. So in this sense, it's the last children or adults or participators who were born during that period of the event. And the reason that can be longer is sometimes the event lasts a period of years plus the lifespan of the person, Right? So um, I meant to look up when the last veteran of the Civil War passed, but I forgot to do it. But it was obviously passed, quite a bit past the Civil Civil War era. And then the last way that it's used when you're talking about generation is uh, right here, is the the last phase or period before the end. Uh, The Expositor's Bible Commentary quotes the biblical scholar Ellis as noting that in the Qumran writings, the term last generation apparently includes several lifetimes. So their usage indicates that in the New Testament, this last generation, just like last hour or today, means only the last phase of the redemptive history. So it's a phase or a period of time. According to this interpretation, this generation is the final period before the end however long that may be. So then here's the question for this morning. So which one is Jesus talking about here? And you know what the answer is? We don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. Obviously, it isn't the 30 or 40, right? Because we've already gone past that. So it can't be those two. Uh, there's still room for the span of a lifetime, Israel has been a nation for 72 years. If 80 is the limit, we got eight years to go. Now, feasibly, that might be probable, 
But when you think of some of the pieces that have to fall into place, it's unlikely, but not improbable, right? I'd put it in that category. If you look at um, the several lifetime one, the last one there, or the last phase we're dealing with, uh, it more than likely falls into that one. So how close are we? We're, we're close. We don't know exactly. But it's around the horizon. Jesus says it's at the very gates. Now the question is, is God slow about keeping his promises? Like, right, we get bored with this stuff because like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, yeah, they've been saying this for, you know, ever since history started and right that's kind of the whole thing and yeah yeah whatever and we just kind of go on our lives and we quit watching anymore because we've been burned out on it three or four times i go back all the way to the days of hal Lindsay. anybody remember that the late great planet earth yeah and so you know we've been through several cycles of this here we go again right kind of thing and just a couple things i would say to that um first of all Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. In other words, it's not counted the way we count it. But it's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so whatever time we have, it should be used in helping convey the message and helping people in the process of repentance. Why is that so important? Because Jesus uses one of his trademark statements to underline the authority and authenticity of his making these predictions. What does he say? Heaven and earth will not pass away, but my heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In other words, my words are more enduring, more solid, more anchored than the earth and the heavens. We must always keep in mind that God does not measure time the way we do because he is timeless. In a sense, he lives outside of time. So he doesn't measure it. So he says, the Bible says, a thousand years to him are like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. Think about it. That's kind of trippy. If you think about the, the third day, that kind of goes back to something towards Easter. Did that ring a bell for anybody? Right? Day one, first thousand years. Day two, second thousand years. What day are we in right now? Day three. Resurrection day. As we've said before, how close are we? Don't know, but we're certainly closer to it than when Jesus uttered those words. Right? That's been 2,020 years ago already. What would Jesus instruct us in as we wait and look forward to his second coming? Because we're supposed to keep that in front of us. Well, come back next week and we'll go farther in it. No, I won't leave you hanging like that. That was just too good. I just want to see if you're listening. Okay. For this morning, uh, we're going to get ready to share in communion. Uh, And I, I want to close it out with this. But we know when we come to communion, we're supposed to stop and we're supposed to examine our hearts. I am not naive enough to think that we just all went through the week and all of us were obedient all the time, 24-7. And we have come here with hearts glowing full of worship and praise. Uh, some of us are pretty beaten up. Some of us sinned and we know it and we're hoping nobody looks in our eyes to find out that we did. Some of us as couples didn't do very well and we hope nobody asks us how our week went. Some of us, right, it just, there, there's all that kind of stuff. Some of us kind of gave up this week 
and we don't want anybody to know that. Some of, there's just all kinds of stuff. And Scripture says, hey, when you come to communion, Paul says, examine yourself. Stop before you take it. I want to do that this morning. I want to give us a chance to just stop before the Lord and let the Lord examine our hearts and let us come before Him and say, okay, you knew. Yeah, can we deal with this before we do communion? And, and get that right. And I, I want to read a passage that will bridge us to next week. So would you just go to prayer? Uh, if it helps to close your eyes, that's great. Not necessary, but uh, you're welcome to do that if that feels the most comfortable. I'm just going to give us a minute of silence to actually do what Scripture says to do. And that is to examine ourselves. How did I do with the Lord this week? Jesus says this, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and he knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third, and finds them awake. Blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I was thinking about that last phrase when I was reading that and thought, what if the Lord comes during Super Bowl? How many would actually be watching for him? When it comes to communion, we know the symbols, right? We know the elements. This is the bread. It represents his body that was broken. This is the cup, which is a symbol of his blood, which was shed for us in the remission of our sins. That's the the most fantastic picture in the history of the world. But the other one that pigtails along on that and rides beside that is uh, when Jesus gave this symbol to his disciples. When he was there with the twelve, they didn't quite get it. But it says later they understood. And when he did that, what he said to them is, I am coming back for you. See these? This is a symbol. I will be with you to the end of the age. I'm going to come back for you. He said, I will never drink this again until I come back. So in a sense, Jesus is living on deferred gratification. He is not drank the cup, the third cup of the Passover meal since that meal 
2,020 years ago. Can you imagine how anxious he is to come back? You think about how anxious you are. Think about his anticipation of coming back. But when he comes back, his question is, will I find any faith? And we want to be a people full of faith. We want to be a people that says yes. We want to be an awake people. We want to be a watching people. We don't want to be yawners. We don't want to be stallers or distracted. We want to keep our eyes on him. And he says, one of the ways to do that, he says, have communion with me. What does communion do? Get your eyes back on him. It reminds you the price tag he paid so we could have a relationship together. He said, take this, eat this. This is a symbol of my body which is broken for you. Do this in memory of me. And then he took the cup. said, this is a symbol of my blood which will be shed for the remission of your sins. And I will not drink this until I come back for you. Drink this in memory of that for me. We're going to come back to this topic next week. It ties right in. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward and tie this together and help us worship as we walk out. But let's pray together, all right? Father, we've walked through this. I know just from first service, there's a number of people who um, are excited about this topic. There's a number of people who said, man, I've been through that. I'm burned out on that. There's a number of people like, wow, I'd never heard that before. There's a number of people like, oh my goodness, that's right where I'm reading. There's other people like, wow. So this topic just stirs up all kinds of things. And Lord, we're going to go into some of those next week. I ask your favor. I'm no genius on this stuff, and you know that. I can do what I can read, and Lord, I can do what my friends read, and I can watch history, and I can anticipate some things, but uh, I don't know it any better than anybody else. We would depend on you to coach me in that. So we seek you for that as we head towards the next week. But we pray for today, Lord, that we would stay in communion with you. That we would stay, the words you're using are, stay alert, stay awake, watch. May we be a watchful people. May we be an expectant people. May we believe you will fulfill your word. And we give that to you in your name. Amen.